0: Well, good morning. So, obviously, Peter uh, was, when he talked about the kiss of love, that was pre-COVID, so uh, you can lay that aside. But seriously, as we look at this final chapter of 1 Peter, this is when Peter is bringing together all the themes that he has been uh, carefully laying out to these Christians in Asia Minor, in the Anatolian Peninsula. He wants to leave his audience of young Christians who are suffering for their faith in the Roman Empire uh, with the very core of his teaching. Now, normally when a first century writer is using uh, instructions for his audience, they start with the lowliest, and they basically say to the slaves, do this and then they move their way up the ladder of hierarchy. But Peter begins with the top of the hierarchy. He begins with the elders. And his words are especially relevant because today we will be electing new officers, elders, deacons, and trustees in our congregational meeting after worship. So this message is especially relevant today. Next slide. So he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. See, elders have a high calling. Now, I'm an elder. I'm a teaching elder in our tradition. And I'm in it for the crown of glory, as are all of our session members, right? Right, elders? We're in it for the crown of glory. No, seriously, we are not, because the suffering that comes before the crown of glory is real. Leadership is not easy. And Peter wants the leaders to be willing As god wants them to be not to be pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusting entrusted to you but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away so elders are set aside in scripture from old testament times from the time of moses Right up to the present day, there are elders who lead God's people. They're called different things in different denominational traditions. Uh, The word bishop and elder are the same. It's presbyter, that's where we get the word Presbyterian here. That's the word that Peter's using. But clearly authority is important in a church body. But it's always within prescribed limits. Peter says the 5th century French bishop Hilary of Arles, who wrote this, Peter is telling the leaders of the church exactly what Jesus told him. Feed my sheep. Take care of people who are entrusted to your care. Be shepherds and be servants in your leadership. Next slide. This goes back to the teaching that Peter received directly from Jesus. You remember, the disciples were, they were young. They were fishermen and tax collectors, zealots. They had a lot of conflict in their midst. And and they started to argue about who was the greatest. As soon as Jesus started talking about leaving them, they started jockeying for position. And so Jesus sat them down. And he called the twelve and he said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Servant leadership is the core of what it means to be an elder. In fact, Jesus defines all leadership as servant leadership. For Peter and for Jesus, the character of a Christian leader is paramount. You can have all the leadership skills in the world, but without this servant heart, without the character of a servant leader, it is insufficient. Next. The true heroes, Ann McGee Cooper writes, the true heroes of the new millennium will be servant leaders quietly working out of the spotlight to transform our world. There's a whole body of servant leadership writing that came out in the 20th and the beginning of the 21st century. And guess where much of it was inspired? By Jesus Christ himself. He is the true servant leader, the model for Peter and for all of us of what it means to be a servant. Part of that servant leadership is humility. Humility is an essential character trait for followers of Jesus. Over a lifetime, of following Jesus, Peter, who did not start out humble, learned humility. And so he writes in verse 5, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time." So when we humble ourselves, Peter says, God will lift us up. Now, Peter had learned this as a boy reading Proverbs. uh, Proverbs 22, 4. Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. But he really learned it through long experience of walking with Jesus. Now, think of some of the ways in his life that he learned humility. He he started out as a very proud, uh, you could even say arrogant young man. But Peter was in the presence of Jesus. And every opportunity that arose for an object lesson in humble leadership, Jesus took it. He had Peter's number. And he would challenge Peter. He rebuked Peter when he started to contest with him. He would rebuke Peter when he started to lord it over his fellow disciples. And Peter heard all this, and yet he still failed at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. But Jesus said, I am going to restore you. I want you to feed my sheep. And so his presence in Peter's life didn't end with the end of Jesus' earthly life. Peter had a a lot of problems. He was a Jewish man, very proud of that. One of the things about his pride was he would not associate with Gentiles, with the pagans. And so God sent him a dream. Go and see Cornelius. And Peter is humbled in that encounter. He's humbled enough to sit with Cornelius at his table. A Jewish man would never do this. And to eat the food that was presented to him food that was unclean and he had to wrestle in prayer with the Holy Spirit before he was able to do that. You remember in the book of Galatians the Spirit brought Paul into Peter's life and they had a confrontation. Paul opposed Peter to his face and it was again an act of humbling for Peter who was the leader of the church. Who does Paul think he is? But Peter learned humility over and over again. So I'm grateful to God that this very first bishop or presbyter or elder of the church, Peter the Apostle, was humbled by God. And he has immense spiritual authority to teach us this way of humility, this way of Jesus, to clothe ourselves in humility for one another. So now verse five of chapter one makes sense. Old and young alike are called to humble ourselves in each other's presence, to submit or subordinate ourselves, to clothe ourselves in humility. We are to take the way of the cross, the way of servant leadership. And here we follow the example of Jesus. We have the same mindset So we learn humility the way Peter did, by looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Think about Jesus. With all the power in the universe at his disposal, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility is the choice of a strong person who makes a decision in their heart to lay aside their power and authority, just as Jesus did, and to clothe ourselves in humility. So Jesus' death on the cross was certainly the atoning sacrifice for our sin, but it's also the way a powerful servant leader triumphs over death and evil itself. We'll be looking at these themes as we enter into the Advent season. Next, humility is not only a biblical idea, but it's very effective. This is a quote from Jeff Hyman's in Forbes magazine. When things go wrong, humble leaders admit to their mistakes and take responsibility. When things go right, they shine the spotlight on others. I suspect that humility gets a bad rap because it's sometimes linked with subservience or weakness or introversion. Psychological research actually indicates the opposite. Humility is most closely associated with a cluster of highly positive qualities, including sincerity, modesty, fairness, truthfulness, unpretentiousness, and authenticity. And there's nothing about humility that makes it incompatible with strength and courage. Humility is an essential component in the, in the workplace, in our community uh, institutions, and in our neighborhoods, in our families. Try it over Thanksgiving. Try being humble. Try clothing yourself in humility. No, you go first. No, you go first. You, you, You actually have to experiment with this because it doesn't come naturally. But it is a choice that Peter tells us we can make as we try to follow our humble Lord. Next slide. James, the apostle, says the same thing as Peter, but more succinctly. He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humility is a choice, but when we ask God to humble us, God will answer that prayer. Moses spent years in the wilderness as God broke him and prepared him to be a humble servant leader and bring the people out of Egypt. Isaiah was completely broken when he cried, Woe is me! My eyes have seen the Lord, the King, God Almighty. The Psalms are saturated with the brokenness of David. Peter had to deny Jesus three times before he was humbled Paul had to be knocked to the ground and his eyes blinded by the glory of God before true humility became a mark of his ministry. And both Peter and James in their letters point to a servant leader, Jesus, who sends his spirit to transform our hearts and our lives, to convert our imagination, to reform our biases and our disposition at such a foundational level that it fundamentally changes the way we treat one another and those outside the family of faith. Paul says in Philippians, in humility, consider others better than yourself. Next. Next slide. Well, Carl talked about Eugene Peterson last week and uh, Eugene is also a mentor of mine Uh, Carrie and I had the great privilege of sitting under his teaching in summer school at Regent College during the five years that he was teaching there. And he wrote a book many years ago, a classic now called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And that's really how we learn humility and servant leadership. It doesn't come quickly. It's more like what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience. Peterson writes in that book, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. And Joel Green, in his commentary on 1 Peter, writes this, It is not too much to say that Peter puts before his audience two views of the world, the same reality understood in quite different ways. The question is, what do you see? What do you know? One is a world of distress and suffering and humiliation. The other neither denies nor downplays these experiences, nor does it exempt believers from future struggle. Instead, it limits the duration of suffering and locates all harsh treatment and misery on the map of God's character, God's power, and God's purpose. From this perspective, the canvas of life belongs neither to the Roman Empire nor to the devil. It is God who is at work with care and grace. It is God who will restore, strengthen, empower, and secure, and it is God who will vindicate, exalt, and gather his people into his unending glory. Only those who have embraced this way of seeing, this pattern of knowing, can respond in the way that Peter is teaching, can respond in acts of humility and servant leadership. Next slide. So this is Vern and Marnie Fredrickson, and they help explain who I am. Vern and Marnie uh, moved to Santa Cruz, California uh, as soon as Vern retired at the age of 65. And Carrie and I had just been married and I had just started my first job in ministry. And we found each other at the First Presbyterian Church of Santa Cruz. So here this 65-year-old couple, and this I was 22, uh, met. And for some reason, they saw something in me, and they began to invest in both of us, to encourage us, to mentor us. And I didn't understand this at the time. Why would they do this? Vern was a successful executive with an oil company in California. Uh, Marnie had raised three daughters. They were clearly wonderful people. But I didn't know their history. They had, Vern had gone to Berkeley and graduated in 1934 and then uh, went to work and joined the First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley. There, after some time, he became an elder. In the mid-50s, his pastor, Robert Boyd Munger, author of My Heart, Christ's Home, met with Vern and Marnie and said, we're gonna plant a daughter church would you be willing to be on the team? And so they, along with 50 other members and leaders in that church, said goodbye to their friends and moved to start a new church, a church that today is larger than First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley. It was a success. Vernon Marnie continued to do this as they moved for work They continued to find and join and invest in Presbyterian churches in Los Angeles and then finally in Santa Cruz, California, after retirement. Vern and Marnie taught me everything about leadership, about humble servant leadership. They said, what can we do to help your ministry? And I told them, well, it would be great if you could host a gathering of potential prayer and donor, uh, prayer people and donors here in Santa Cruz because we just don't know people and our ministry is funded by the prayers and gifts of God's people. We'll do it. They found another couple, they hosted a gathering and then they went around and said, you ought to invest in this young couple and they did that consistently over time and I thought the only people they were doing that with were us, but no, they were doing that with Young Life staff They were doing that with missionaries around the world. I could say more about this couple that decided upon retirement to invest in humble servant leadership for the rest of their lives in that third third of life. But let me just end with this story. Vern and Marnie, this is a picture of them soon before Marnie died after a long struggle with Parkinson's. They were on their way to visit their children and grandchildren, taking the train up from their retirement home in Solvang, California. And I, as I was corresponding with their daughter, Gail, we just started both weeping as we thought about this couple who are waiting for us, who have received the crown of glory, who are praying for us right now. They're just as real to me today as they were in the fullness of their life. When, when Vern was 91, he'd been a widower for 11 years, he finally was called home to be with Jesus. And his children invited me to do a graveside service for Vern in Walnut Creek, California, and I was honored to do so. So after the service, I was talking with one of the three sons-in-law of Vern Fredrickson. And I told him some of what I told you about how Vern had invested in me as a young leader. And I told him about the way in which he had invested financially as well in the Ministry of InterVarsity. And Steve began to tell me story after story of missionaries around the world that Vern and Marnie had not only prayed for, but welcomed into their home on furlough and invested in and supported. And yet, then he told me something that just blew me, my mind. He said, Randy, I'm the executor of Verne's estate and I can tell you that he was down to his final $1,000. He had given it all away. This is humble servant leadership. This isn't what I want to be when I grow up. This is what it means to be an elder. This is what Peter is talking about. Let's go on. When we give ourselves to Christ fully and completely, as Vernon Marnie did, this makes so much more sense. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Life in a fallen world gives us many reasons to be anxious. But Peter, as he closes this letter, knowing that he's writing to people that are suffering for their faith, that are being persecuted, says there's a place you can cast your anxiety. There's a shepherd who will care for you. The shepherd is the one who leaves the 99, and goes into the wilderness to find the one lost sheep. So therefore, be anxious for nothing, as Paul would say it. Cast all your anxiety on him. Peter is running out of time. and He wants to get in his last few words. And so, like Paul at the end of Ephesians, he wants his audience to understand that what they're suffering, what they're enduring is not simply flesh and blood persecution. Be alert and sober. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Why? Because you know, you know, the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Why talk about the devil? because the devil is the opposite of humility. The devil is full of pride. All the suffering that these early Christians were enduring was ultimately caused not by evil people and evil institutions, but by the devil himself. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can resist the devil. And finally, Peter ends And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. In each section of this final chapter, Peter repeats the promise of glory. And here he concludes the letter on that theme. Yes, we clothe ourselves in humility as Jesus did because we know we have been elected by God, chosen to experience eternal glory. And just as God highly exalted Jesus after his ascension, he will exalt you and me. But for now, the word to us is humble ourselves, clothe ourselves in humility. And as we do, he will lift us up. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the life and ministry and teaching of the Apostle Peter. Lord, it's just wonderful to see Peter at the end of his life, after you had finished your work and how he reflected in humble service, his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be people, whether we're elders or deacons or trustees, whether we're members of the congregation, covenant partners engaged in acts of service here and in this community. Lord, help us be marked by our humility, by our servant leadership. Fill us with your spirit that this might be true, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.